0: Welcome into the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Anderson, and today on the show, I am joined by Logan Paulson. Logan is a former NFL tight end who has spent 10 seasons playing professional football for the Houston Texans, Atlanta Falcons, San Francisco 49ers, Chicago Bears, and Washington Redskins. He played college football at UCLA and has experienced the coaching styles of, I believe it was six or seven different strength and conditioning coaches throughout his career. He developed a deep love for training and is now currently pursuing his CSCS and working as a strength coach. In this episode, Logan and I discuss uh, scheduling in the NFL offseason and how it could potentially be improved to help player safety and reduce the risk of injury. We also discuss his time in the NFL and what he learned from working with various strength coaches, his take on load management, and how helpful it is for a player and how it can be better organized for clarity amongst players. And then we also talk about how he put, he and some of his former teammates almost lifted themselves out of the league. Uh, all of these topics were extremely interesting, and I loved hearing them from Logan's perspective as a player. Um, this is something I want to do a lot more of, bringing on athletes to help bridge the understanding gap between us regular athletes, average athletes and coaches uh, to the elite side of things. And Logan did a beautiful job illustrating that for me today on the podcast. And hopefully you all will take something to of val- value out of it. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, give it a review if you feel so inclined, and hope you enjoy this episode with Logan Paulson. Logan, thanks a lot, man, for joining the show. Really appreciate your time. Um, and uh, I guess first things first, for those that might not know you or be aware of your career just kind of fill me in on um just you know where you went to school the NFL NFL career and then we can kind of go from there
1: yeah so I went to UCLA I grew up in LA so like going to UCLA was a pretty natural choice for me and then when I uh when I was getting ready to graduate and be done with school um the NFL thing kind of presented itself and um I had an opportunity with the Washington Redskins as an undrafted free agent and um just kind of through serendipity, like the tight end coach in Washington was the tight end coach at UCLA my freshman year, so we kind of knew each other, like, and I was still in school with his um, his son, so we kind of kept in contact, and then, so that worked out really well, I was able to beat out some veterans, kind of unexpectedly, like, I had no expectations of playing in the NFL, like, I was actually, kind of before I was training for the Combine, kind of looking at like what I would need to do to get in a law school kind of thing. And like what it was going to be like moving in back with my parents. So like it really, um, it really kind of fell just perfectly for me. And then, um, you know, I played there for six seasons. I had a pretty bad injury my uh, 2015, I think. And I missed the whole year. Um, And then like uh, Washington chose not to bring me back. So I ended up with Chicago, San Francisco, Atlanta, and then Houston for last year. So um, you know, 10 years, which was a pretty cool experience. And I got to kind of see how a whole bunch of different organizations run their thing. And I was exposed to uh, how many strength coaches, probably five or six in my time in the NFL. And then I had two in college. So I got a kind of a, a, a very practical education and strength conditioning during my time in the NFL and my time in college. So how
0: do you, how do you kind of know, you mentioned like you were planning on not doing football and then all of a sudden you're, you're in the NFL. Like, what kind of clued you into like, Oh, I'm, I could make the NFL. Like this could be a thing for me.
1: Finished school and I finished the season. Like agents started contacting me and then that was kind of the first sign that things were maybe going to transition to the next level. And then, you know, like even, even, even though you sign with an agent, it's still such a long journey from that point. So, you know, thank God he paid for my training. I didn't have to pay for my training. I got to train at a place called Velocity Sports Performance out in um, Manhattan Beach, California, which is really cool. I was living with my parents, and I got a whole bunch of phone calls, and I kind of was like, okay. And then, you know, you hear the stories of, like, you know, they bring 90 guys into training camp or 90 guys into off-season program. So I still was like, well, you know, it's probably not going to be me. But I just kind of kept coming each day, worked as hard as I could, tried to learn as much as I could. And, you know, it was a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work kind of got me where I was in that first year.
0: That's awesome, man. Yeah, so, so you mentioned the, the strength coaches, and that's the main reason why we were on today. We want to yeah. kind of talk about kind of just our, our, both of our thoughts on strength and conditioning. Was there any coach in particular on that side of things that kind of really like clued you into this being something you wanted to pursue after football?
1: You know, it's interesting you say that. I, um, I think all of them kind of brought their own, uh, their own perspective, uh, and they kind of were all very good people, very good mentors, um, and very accessible. And I think having, like, those different people uh, at different levels at different times was was really advantageous. And, I, and, you know, it's interesting. I don't think I ever had a bad experience with a strength coach in the NFL. Like, I may not have uh, agreed, um, you know, wholeheartedly with their philosophy necessarily, but they were all really good people. And, you know, ultimately, that's what strength conditioning is. It's a, it's a people-first business, I think. And I think all of those guys understood that, and I think they all knew that. And I think because of those positive relationships, it just kind of kept me coming back to the strength and positioning side of it. And, um, yeah, so, you know, like everyone kind of brought something different for sure.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. yeah having the, that, all those experiences too, is, is I think really important, especially if you're someone that, and we've talked pretty much all week and I can tell you're, you're a sponge. So, yeah. <laughs> like, so no. yeah, that amount of resources you had there just had to have been incredible.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the other thing is like, you know, everybody is put in different situations and has different opportunities. And like, you, you kind of get what you, uh, you, you make what you can out of it and you, you kind of build an opportunity out of certain situations. So I'd go and I'd like, you know, I'd read something and I'd take a, a little thing of questions to the strength coach the next day. I'd get there early and I'd ask him a couple of questions. Like, Hey, what do you think about this? Have you heard about this before? And you know, everybody kind of throughout the career has different answers and different focuses, you know, And I think that was something that was really cool. And it was also kind of cool over like the 15 years involved in high level, including college, um, of seeing high level strength conditioning, like how it evolved over that time period. That was something that was really cool to see too. And I'm sure something that you could probably speak to also, because I think we're about the same age and we kind of went through the same, uh, the same process and same time frames. (laughs) Well, well,
0: sort of one of us is playing elite football and the other was like playing high school basketball.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. A little different, but yeah. Yeah. So it just, I think just kind of taking advantage of those opportunities, like when they come up, like I I talked to you a little bit about like um, my relationship, with Brad Lewis, yeah, and yeah. you know, like I was paying him uh, for a long time to do my training, which was great. But um, one of the things that's been kind of invaluable, invaluable about that training experience was that like I have like a pseudo mentor now in him, you know, and like if I have something that's really pressing, I can ask him and get his opinion, and um, kind of keeping those relationships. And like you know, like we talked about, like it's people first, right? It's who you know. It's who has access to these resources and information that is smarter than you, and take advantage of that. I think.
0: What were, what were what are some of the biggest evolutions you saw from, like, year one in the NFL to last year? Um, and obviously you're switching staffs, too, which kind of muddies yeah. the, a bit on, on the evolution of the field. But what's kind of some things that stood out to you?
1: Well, I just think, um, you know, I went from uh, my – so even in college, I kind of had <clears throat> very interesting transitions throughout. Like, I was with a guy named Doc Creese, who's kind of a, a strength conditioning lesson, like legend in, in his own right. And, you know, he had his kind of like this – murky reputation because he gave uh, players steroids at Colorado or whatever. Like, he's a great dude, great, great guy, great storyteller, but very old school in his approach, you know, like very high volumes, like would run us to death, would beat the shit out of us. And then the next year I had a guy who had worked at a sports performance facility. And so everything got really tapered down, very, very uh, specific. And, you know, like I kind of always look back to Doc, that kind of like old school Wild West training approach as something that was like the cornerstone of my um, my knowledge, you know, and I, I always had like, Oh, well like the volumes aren't high enough or whatever. And then, like, as it went, everything got so specific. Everyone was so worried about volumes, so worried about loads, so in tune to all these different things. And so, like, I, I look back at that, and it, it became much more of a science, you know, instead of kind of like, oh, I think this is what needs to be done. I think this is – it was much more like, well, if you look at this research paper, if you look at this demographic of people, like, this is what is best, you know. And that's something that I don't know – I don't necessarily think is the – is correct necessarily. You know, I think everyone kind of leans into that and they say, Oh, like we need to be more specific. We need to be super honed in. But I think, um, I, I don't necessarily think that's the right way to go in, in, in every case,
0: I guess. Dude, that's so interesting. You're talking about this. Cause I I've been thinking about this pretty much all quarantine in terms of, it's great to have a system and a framework, but if we're like right. only following the science and we're just kind of ignoring the human being in front of us or group of human beings in front of us. Sometimes we miss out on like an amazing training experience that might not be evidence-based or the, the best choice, for example. But like, for example, I got like a 10 or 14 year old kid I'm working with right now, just over zoom. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, he's great. Like I've trained him for a while. I trained him when I was up in Washington state in person and everything. So I have a pretty good relationship with him And, I, for a little while, I was getting caught up in like you know just fancier stuff, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking, I'm like, he just wants a good training experience. Like, yeah, I just need to pummel him every now and then, you know. Yeah, like.
1: yeah, I, th- I think that's right, and I think like, you know, this is maybe a little off topic, but I do think that like people get so focused on the minutiae, right? And like, there's so much variation in human beings. There's so much variance in personality that. I don't think anybody can fit like a cookie cutter mold necessarily. And I do think that like, you need to remember like the core tenant of what you're trying to do as a strength conditioning professional, I think. And this is something that I've had conversations with a whole bunch of people about is like, you're trying to cultivate a general adaptation, you know, like it's not like a sports specific adaptation that comes from practice or something that's outside of your scope of expertise usually, but you're trying to make a, a person stronger and then by extension faster, more explosive, more resilient, and then hopefully get that to apply to their, whatever task they're trying to do, sport or life or whatever it is. And I think oftentimes people get so caught up in the weeds of like, well, you know, we can't use this methodology here because of X, Y, and Z. But like, if it seems to work for this guy or if it's, or if this volume seems to be working for this person, like why not run with it a little bit and see what happens. And I, and I just think people get so Oh, like this, this number, this number that percentage. And it's general, it, it should, it should be more general. I think, um, especially, especially with like a young athlete, you know, general is okay. You know?
0: Yeah. No, you're, you're 100%, I'm, I'm a hundred percent. I'm on board with that man. Cause you even look like I'll, I'll just hop on. I'm more of an Instagram guy, but I hop on Twitter <laughs> occasionally. And I just see some of these coaches getting in arguments yeah. about things. I'm like, this doesn't even matter. Like, yeah. holy I, shit. <laughs> it,
1: it really doesn't. And like, You know, I, I'm a, I'm a really ardent believer in like a full depth squat, for example, like Mm -hmm. all my clients, like, that's my goal. I want you to squat to a full depth and like that's supported by science, but you're going to meet somebody who's got like a knee, a back, a hip, a shoulder, even at the professional level and they can't do it. So is it better for me to say, you know what? I don't want you to do a partial depth squat. No, obviously not. Like I want the general strength adaptation of the barbell on your back. Like, that's what I want. Like, however I can get it. Belt squat, hex bar, like let's find a way to get you to do that, you know? And so I think people get so caught up and like, oh, he's not doing this or the range of motion isn't good. Like general adaptation, like let's see where we get, like, let's get what we can get where we can get it, if that makes sense.
0: A hundred percent. And you you see that I think like so I was with the Bills for a short period of time, right? Oh, yeah. And um mm-hmm. you even see like some guys that just aren't into the training experience. I mean, no matter right. what you do for is it's not the game of football, they just don't give a crap, you know? Yeah. So 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 for them, that becomes like, okay, let's mitigate some risk here. Like, we don't necessarily need to do a back squat, but if I can get them full depth, you know, in a goblet or just regress it a little bit or whatever, and they feel like they're getting work in, like, okay, that's a win for us, you know?
1: Yeah, and, like, it's the same thing. Like, everyone gets all caught up in, like, this west side methodology with the box squat. Like, a box squat is a squat, you know? And if the guy feels more comfortable doing that, why not? You know what I mean? And, like, as long as they're getting some type of lower lower body press, lower body pull, like, I don't really care the variation. As long as the stimulus is high enough that they're going to see some type of benefit from it. And, I, and like, again, like, it's general, right? So, like, it might not be exactly what you want. Like, this is something I've had a conversation with um, some of Brad's guys about mm-hmm. is, like, you got to kind of use smoke and mirrors a little bit to kind of get what, – like, what you're talking about, like, maybe have them do a goblet, maybe have them do this. Just as long as the, the stimulus is – uh, 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 close to what you're looking for. I think that that is, um, I think that's appropriate. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah. so I find this very interesting. I'm glad we're talking and you played football, for example. So I've been doing a lot of work recently more on the basketball side of things. And right. I'm sure you've heard enough. Like, so for example, I, I worked a little bit with the, um, the Brooklyn nets last summer in Vegas. And okay. I've talked to a lot of people that, that are arranging the, the loading strategies for, all these NBA players and it is so markedly different from the NFL. And obviously I think the needs are a little bit different for sure. We don't need to necessarily be as strong as a football player just because of the nature of the game, but not, but it's, it's crazy to see like some teams are like have moved completely away from, for example, like axial loading. Sure. Which is, and, 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 and you know, for, I can't imagine anyone that's really happening to a large scale in football. I'm kind of curious. No,
1: no, like even people who have like back injuries, they find ways to (laughs) like get them to axial load. And I think, you know, if you look at the research, like it supports that, you know, and I, And again, like with a basketball player, I think the problem you run into is like skill acquisition—a big, a big element. I wouldn't know, but like my wife played basketball in college, and one of the things is like they are so tall and they're so kind of—they've so they've specialized so much in their sport that they haven't really had an opportunity to cultivate the skill set of 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 the barbell or the dumbbell or whatever you're
0: using, or the body weight. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, right,
1: absolutely. So just finding ways for them to get again like a general adaptational load like I've been reading a little bit, um, kind of like some bro sciencey stuff about just having basketball players do like weighted carries just for the just to get like the hormonal response of some extra physiological load. You know what I mean? It doesn't need to be a killer. It's it's basically like an isometric position. Like it's not super great. But it's really low skill. Like everyone can do it. And you can see with your eye how it looks. Like so why not give that a shot? And I think um I, I personally think like you know, you look at like any type of research with with regards to like strength and conditioning, like, you know, like marathon runners adding two like 30 minute weightlifting sessions in during a week, like their times drop. I just think it's such a, it's such a good thing. But one thing Brad always says to me, and I think this is something that is so important and I wish I had learned it 10 years ago is like, there is strong enough. There is <laughs> yeah. too, there, yeah, there is too strong and then there is strong enough. You know what I mean? And I think that, um, I think that like people often say, Oh, uh, a little bit of strength is good. More strength is better. That's not always the case. And I think that is, uh, I think that's important to keep in mind. You know,
0: what do you, when you, so when you say strong enough or too strong, for example, let's say we get to that point, what do you think an athlete that gets to that point is going to feel or how, how's he going to perform? Is there going to be a change in that? I'm kind of curious, like what you think when you say that.
1: So, yeah. So what I mean by that is like, there's this metric, I'm sure you've heard of it. It's like this classic, like meathead metric of like a double weight body squat, a double body weight squat is like, you're strong enough. Right. But if you're an athlete, if you're involved, involved in sports, the amount of skill acquisition required and time required fatigue required to accumulate a double body weight squat is just doesn't make any sense. Right. So like, if the guy's squatting X, let's say, I don't know, like I never squatted really over 415 pounds my whole time in the NFL or even in college. Like I never was like a very strong squatter. But then when I talked to Brad, he's like, as long as the bar is moving quickly, you know, like, and you are, um, and you're in control of the weight, like you're strong enough to um, get the adaptation that you want from a sprinting and a movement perspective. Right. And so I think that, as you kind of, if you look at like a powerlifter, for example, like they look a certain way and they move a certain way because they've kind of forced their body to adapt, um, to the stimulus of the barbell of these three movements, right? Same thing with strongmen. They all kind of move and look a certain way, right? Because they've sacrificed movement skills to promote strength. And, and I think that that's something that you always need to keep in mind. Like I've, I've been with a whole bunch of old linemen who have who have lifted themselves out of the NFL, and I was almost one of those person, people, right? You you just lift too much. You you don't focus enough on the other elements that make you good at your sport, right? Like it's one piece that, and the and there's all this other stuff that needs to be cultivated in order to make sure you're you're doing those things effectively. So I just think from a time fatigue um, standpoint, you need to be really careful that like they're not getting too strong, right? You don't put too big of an emphasis on that. If that makes sense. No, hundred, percent.
0: I agree with you. I agree with you tremendously. And I want to dig a little bit further on that concept. And so you talk about how maybe we're not doing some of the more specific things that are required to to remain or to get better at our sport. Yeah. Uh, what about physiologically from the strength side, not beyond fatigue or anything like that? And what I, what I mean by that is kind of, so like, this is what I've kind of batted around in my head, but I'm not an elite athlete. So it's hard for me to, to do, you know, talk about it without, without sounding like an idiot. So, so, um, think about we're externally loading all the time, constantly, constantly, constantly. And at some point, like I even feel like that has a detrimental, not even from a fatigue factor, but like you said, the adaptations we're getting in terms of strength, it has a, it's, it has a detrimental factor on more task specific, um, actions that yeah. into the sport you kind of get where i'm going with that 100
1: 100 i think like so one thing i one thing i go back to brad and dustin perry is the same way so like both these guys kind of believe this it's like anytime like so there's a big big kind of school of thought you want maximum motor unit recruitment or whatever and the best ways to do that are through like extra physiological loads like these high high loading parameters and brad i was like i was remember this was a couple of years ago i was talking to brad about doing like super maximal like yoke walks and stuff like is it it's going to get your neurally stimulated right like that's what you want right and he kind of said like dude like the you're 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 not wrong but the patterning is just as important right so if you're teaching your body how to like maximally recruit every time you want to contract you're you lose the pattern of like being able to sprint right there's like a very specific pattern associated with that right neurologically that we often don't groove enough you know and in the same way that that pattern is really important there's also a really heavy pattern with like lateral shuffle karaoke all of these different movements so like that's one thing that i'm kind of messing around with now is like finding ways to load those positions and like increase like follow following the force velocity curve to 100 percent, right getting Going from maximum tension, right, to, like, athletic movement or sprint work. You know what I mean? And I feel like we don't bridge that very well. Like, a lot of coaches say, oh, well, like, I've got movement prep in the warm-up. But, like, there's not the same kind of deliberate focus in the warm-up as there is when you're under a barbell, right? So how do you get an athlete to say, like, this session right now is – I'm doing field work, but it's the same focus that I have when I'm doing a maximum sprint. Or I'm doing a barbell movement, right? And how do as a coach do you coach that position better? How do you how do you kind of encourage them to find the best position to be in? And I'm not one of these guys that's like, oh, like a movement specialist. No, I'm just talking about the intent of like mind to body, right? Like finding a way to get that super grooved in so that those positions don't feel foreign. You know, like if I'm if I never jump, like how am I supposed to be good at jumping? If I never land, how am I supposed to be good at landing? <laughs> if I never am like, you know what I'm saying? And I understand you only have certain, a certain number of hours in the day as a strength conditioning professional, but I do think that we, and I'm, I'm saying we because like I'm the same way, and I, I told you I almost lifted myself out of the NFL. Like you, you see problems from the tools that you have, right? So everything can be solved with a barbell, a dumbbell, extra, extra, extra physiological load, right? There's other ways to get around that. There's other ways to look at the problem, and I think there's other skills that need to be cultivated
0: yeah no that was that was beautifully said that's kind of exactly what my my thought process has been this whole time and then let's even take it a step further and talk about like bracing for example against the load and i think in football there's a lot more value in that than in other sports um and i'm not someone that's like we shouldn't be lifting i just want to a lot of people think that when i start talking about this and i i think there's a tremendous amount of value from a lot of different angles with lifting but like you said if we go on a path that's too much and we're just adapting for strength, I feel like we start to get this sagittally braced upper body, for example. And like, I've even noted, like I, I power lifted for three years. I, um, I I didn't do a lot of athletic stuff in my early to mid twenties. And now I've kind of gone down the sprint rabbit hole the last year and a half. And only (laughs) hilariously only on Monday did I start to realize like, Wow, I I just have no fluidity when I get to top end. Like I can move pretty fast, but yeah, I, nothing is moving. You know, yeah. I'm just like in this little you know bubble almost. So <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and I, you know, like I've I've had this conversation, a similar conversation with Brad Nwosu a couple times. Like the the idea that um like you won't let me squat with a belt, right? Because like you are like you're pressing out, right? Like as an athlete, you should be able to find that 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 same mechanism um, without a belt like pressing against your own musculature right and so I think that's just one small example of kind of what you're talking about but if you look at like I'd say the majority of our of our strengthening methodologies they come from strength and power sports right but if you look at like like shot putters for example right like how much time do they spend throwing the shot you know what I mean they spend a ton of time moving in an athletic position with plyometrics, with other ver- throw variations, with uh, special strength variations, right? To, to kind of take this, this, this power, this horsepower that they've cultivated under the bar and make it applicable to what they're doing. And I think a lot of people don't do that. Like, like obviously there are certain athletes who transmutate very well, right? They transfer very well. Like if you look at Julio Jones, for example – that guy can do jumping jacks and he'll run a four, three. Like it's just like his body knows how to take athletic movements really well and make it. And and it just turns him into a monster. Like I saw him box squatting, um, like over 500 pounds with chains, like, and it looks like he's jumping. Like that's just how his (laughs) body's like,
0: that's how twitchy is.
1: Yeah, yeah, And like, so his body can take that stimulus and it's going to apply to whatever he's going to do. Me on the other hand, no, I need to find another, I've built the horsepower with the box squat or whatever squat variation I'm doing. I need to find other ways to kind of bridge that gap in my opinion. And I think athletically people, they're not the same. We're not all created equal. Right. So, you know, you, me, whoever it is, like we're going to have different ways of getting there. And that's something that I've been messing around with lately. Like is just bracing in different positions. Like your spine should flex, should extend. It should move, um, Like, laterally, also, you know, like, those positions are important. And if I can't get tension there, like, then I can't move in those positions effectively, right? So I think that is something that um, is often overlooked. And, again, I understand you only have a certain amount of time in the day. So, like, people go, let's get your big neurological stimulators in, right? You know, pull from the floor, squat, bench, and, like, some type of heavy pull, right? But I do think it's important to kind of think to have that in your mind. Like, how do I get this this horsepower to apply to the task that I want.
0: Yeah. And I, I, love that you said that about the belt, um, that Brad, Brad was telling you not to use it because I, yeah. I think you can even think along the same lines with someone that is getting to that point where they're too strong or strong enough. Yeah. yeah. How much longer do we need to have them exert force against an external load? Because if that's the only way they can get slack out of their body and get tension, that's a, that's a problem in sport. Right. Yeah.
1: And I think like you watch like these deadlift seminars, you know, and people are like, Oh, like I use the bar as the way to kind of leverage my spine position, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you can't get to that position without the bar. Like that isn't appropriate either, right? Cause like, uh, you know, I, I did like a, I did a seminar a couple of years ago, like I was attending and the guy was having me use a PVC pipe to work the snatch positions, right? And I was like, I can't feel it. I can't get the right tension. He's like, well, what is that telling you about your bracing pattern right now? If you can't intrinsically feel the bracing pattern and the correct position, then why would you do it under a load? And I thought that, you know, he was kind of being a smart ass a little bit, but I do think that's a very valid point, right? Like if you can't get the position, like without the tool, then what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So
0: no, no, I think that's, I think that's beautiful. And we're definitely thinking along the same lines with that. Um, and then, but, but again, now let's just boil back down to football instead of other sports. Yeah. Like football is going to require more of, this, uh, you know, adaptations and strength and size and all these other yeah. things that are that are required. Have you? So, I've, I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit then on like how you said you almost like lifted yourself out of the league, and you've seen other people do it. Like, do they are they aware it's happening? Is it like like what's got, like? Take me through that a little bit. No,
1: I th- I think you know like one of the re- another reason that I gravitated towards strength conditioning is because like it was an opportunity for me to improve my football. I thought right. So the more I lifted, the better I was going to be at football and that's obviously not true. Uh, but like you get to points where you, you, you start spending more time on the lifting mechanics and like, like, like you start running into these problems, like, um, Oh, like I can't get the same tension, uh, on the field as I can on the deadlift bar or my, I'm getting too rigid. I'm losing some dexterity and like my, you know, like the, what is that? Your, your oblique sling, like from your hip to your shoulder. Right. Cause like you're not doing anything kind of in those movement planes anymore. And like when you run, you feel like shit because like you can't, like your body does not neurologically understand like, no, hey, I need to be able to like rotate and do some different <laughs> yeah. stuff here, you know? Yeah. And so like you see guys who are just trying to like, you know, it's important to them and they want to work more. And the way that the, the traditionally football coaches encourage work is in the weight room. Right. And so they just kind of pour into the weight room and then they lo- are losing some of the, those athletic qualities some of the mobility some of the flexibility some of the stability in those awkward positions like we were talking about and you can see it with your eye like that guy his his thoracic spine is too tight even from an alignment perspective like a an offensive alignment perspective like he won't be able to bend because of his back to get under to leverage another person out of a position right and like usually you don't see that with receivers but you see it sometimes and you just see them getting too tight, like too wound up. And I don't think necessarily weightlifting makes you tight, but I do think it's a very specific pattern that is not very um that if you look at it is not very relevant to sport, right? And like I think it's important to kind of keep an eye on that. You know what I mean? Like that your patterning is getting a little jacked and like sometimes you can't see it until it's too late.
0: We had some we had some skill guys in Buffalo that were very averse to like doing any sort of heavy loading. And uh, I remember back in the day being like, you know, watching them do a a goblet squat or maybe a light back squat and be like, man, they move terribly. And then they go on the field and they're just ridiculous. Like one was was a pro bowler the year I was there. It's just like, it made me start, you know, and I didn't think about it then, but I think now, and I look back and I'm like, there's a reason why he was averse to like, and again, if he, if he does a little more than he did, it wasn't going to be a problem, but there was right. a reason why he kind of was almost wired to not want to do those things. You know? Yeah,
1: I think that's <laughs> right. And I think like another thing that I've I've been discussing with people is like, you know, like you don't need a You don't need a one-to-one adaptation from your, your lifting, right? You're, you're trying to create resiliency. So like with some of those guys who don't lift, I, 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 I think they're setting themselves up for injuries because they're not promoting like tendon muscle you know, joint health. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. But I do think that like there, you know, there's like a sweet spot. Like there's not, you're not lifting every day and not lifting at all is not the answer. There's like a middle ground there to kind of help, help the athlete be the most effective they can on the field while not being deleterious um, to to their goals.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up because that, you know, I even, I think we were talking about earlier, there are other factors that go into strength training. And for those guys, I think that's the way you have to pitch it because they kind of on the field have the skills that they have. They might not necessarily need to get any bigger. But when we talk about it, just from a joint health connective tissue perspective that that, is especially in high performers you see it in basketball a ton like tendinopathy is rampant through the end yeah, right now it's like right we got to get some sort of loading in your system just to stop this So you have some longevity playing yeah
1: i think that's 100 percent right and you know even something as simple as like wolf's law you know with bone health like that's something that's just like it's it's important you know and especially when you're playing something kind of as rigorous as football like like those those elements are, are, are critical. But like I said before, like how much do you actually need to cultivate that adaptation? I'm sure everyone's different, you know, like maybe some people need a little bit more, some people need it a little bit less. And I think it's up to the strength conditioning professional to kind of identify which group this person falls into, right? Like, you know, I go back to Julio Jones, like Julio was great because he was a, a, a really talented skill guy, but he also understood it was important for him to work out, you know what I mean? And so like that helps the whole group, kind of say like we need if julio's doing it like we all should do it right so like i think that like those types of individuals should be rewarded in a in a and 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 that that is something that is really challenging but i think it's really important
0: that's really cool to hear too because i i sometimes we'll just give the skill guys or like the best players, the benefit of the doubt, like, Oh, they don't need yeah. this whatever. But yeah. But if you got somebody like that, that'll do that. I feel like, and again, I'm, I'm purely speculating here, but I feel like Larry Fitzgerald would be another guy that would do something. Yeah. Like
1: that. I, that just, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, yeah. Zoe, Zoe would probably know if you, you know, you oh, had that's him on true. The show.
0: I, yeah. I might, t- I had him on, I'll, I'll text Zoe and see what he says. And then I'll, yeah. then I'll report back to the audience yeah. later.
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean, Zoe, Zoe's a great example though. Like there's a guy who's like, 35 years old he trains his face off like he like in in a very maybe not like if you saw him train I don't know if you think oh that's really hard but he's very deliberate and focused in what he does and it's worked out great for him in terms of health and longevity and things like
0: that so yeah the things that guy was able to do coming in the league at like 320 ending at 240 playing like (laughs) eight positions like you did something right man yeah (laughs) right
1: and a lot of that's mindset you know a lot of that's mindset so
0: yeah, no, and then he, he went into detail on that when I, when I had him on. So that was awesome. Now, uh, let's switch over to, like, uh, a couple of sports science topics that I was curious about. Okay, and by the way, yeah. anything you want to ask, too, like I said, feel yeah, free, yeah, to, feel yeah, free yeah. to have at it. But um, it, the buzz right now is the load management, especially, for example, yeah. in the NBA. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of it come into the NFL as well. And yeah. I was curious kind of what your take was on that, um, just in general, before we dive in deeper.
1: Yeah, so generally, like in the NFL, I can't speak to the NBA. I mean, I can a little bit because I know some people who've done some of that with uh, the NBA. But for the NFL specifically, excuse me. Um, the the thing that I've noticed is it tends to be very reactive, right? Like you are kind of you've got the GPS, you've got the vertical jump test, and instead of like you know any good program is all is centered around the idea that like you're planning out, you know weeks, months, years potentially, right? And I feel like all this load management stuff is, is so reactive, right? Like if I, was, if I was a strength conditioning professional, and this is something that I've talked about with Brad and Dustin and uh, Jesse Ackerman from Atlanta pretty extensively is like, why am I taking all this data and, and, and applying it reactively? Because then it, it hurts the, the, um, the, 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 the skill acquisition of the sport, right? Because you're like limiting practice time based on like an overreach that wasn't planned for some reason right like why not plan the overreach right why and then tell the coach about it you know what i mean and so that's something that i find to be very frustrating when i'm talking to people and very few people have can do it effectively for some reason and i think i think that is the most important thing like you're not you're not like we've talked we talked about this the other day like you're not isolating variables um you're not isolating stressors like I'm not going hard in the weight room so I can take it easy on the basketball court. Right. Like you've got to find a way to make those coincide and then why not just plan the whole thing out? So it all kind of mirrors each other and it's related and it's symbiotic. If that makes sense.
0: A hundred percent. And I, you know, I've never really thought about it from a, I've only thought about it from my lens. So glad you brought that up just in terms of if I'm going to pull a player off, you know, or if that happens, you know, if I'm going to pull a player off be like, Oh, you've hit your, but he feels he needs a few more reps or whatever. That's a, that's a, that's that's not good. <laughs> yeah, know?
1: right. Yeah. And it's, and especially like even in early in like the, um, you know, like like training camp and stuff. Like that's when people make teams. That's when people get jobs. Like I, like this last year in Atlanta, they were limiting my reps because I was like over a certain age, and I was like, I'm gonna get cut because of this. And I would like fight with the the strength coach. I'd fight with the training staff. And but the but the problem, the reason I had a hard time with it is because it was just totally. Like almost, like random seeming like when they would pull when they would give you know and like if if it was part of like a plan like these guys aren't rest are resting this day to, you know for whatever reason like that's one thing uh, talking with Dustin and you you know I don't want to like give his secret sauce but he's found a way to you know make sure that the head coach is on the same page with him in terms of load management like every it follows like an undulating periodization and that to me is really cool. And that's how it should be. Cause like, if you look at the research it supports that, right. You can't have too high or can't have multiple high days in a row, right? Like you just can't do it. Right. So yeah. why not give the player an opportunity to have a high day, really effective, you know, longer distance routes, whatever you're going to do more repetitions, then come down, maybe change the emphasis for the day, you know, third down, red zone, whatever, limit the reps a little bit. But the, the, the mental focus on both days is the same, but you as the strength coach have mm-hmm. talked to the, the head coach and found a way to limit the total volume, right? Limit the distance run, limit the intensity with which they're running it because the shorter distances, you can't get to the same high speeds. Right. And then come back to whatever you're going to do the next day. Right. And I think that those, that is a really well thought out, well-planned thing. And that's how it should be for every sport. I think is finding a way to get this relationship with the strength between the strength coach or the sports science director and the, and the the field coach or the court coach or whoever, you know.
0: So, so how do you bridge that gap? Do you think? Because this is something I've been thinking. This is kind of my main thing I'm worried about right now, or thinking about. Yeah. I'm granted, I'm not in a position, career wise, to like have a huge influence on it. But I really, you know, pro sports is where I'd like to be, and and I I think that I understand what you're talking about very well. And I, yeah. I just was wondering what you think the best ways there are to go about like bridging that. Is that even something that's possible to be bridged?
1: I do. I do think so. I think it just. So, you know, when talking with, like, like grads, like, cohort of people who are all, like, very high and well-respected um, strength and condition coaches kind of around in, in, in various disciplines, like, one thing that keeps coming up with them is, like, building relationships, right, and understanding where that other person is coming from. So, like, um, so for, so just as an example, like, you have a background in sports science, you understand data, you understand kind of rest relax periods you understand all of these different things the sports coach does not understand that they have no idea what you're talking about they don't really give a shit right you know a lot of times they're like they're older like they come from a very different philosophy of like you know more like more is better like always right they don't understand like the nuance of it so finding a way to kind of translate it into their language right without these like charts and graphs and percentages like just be like, hey, like this is a green day, this is a red day, this is a yellow day, or whatever it may be, and finding ways to kind of speak in their in their language, right? Like I mentioned with the football, like one of the things Dustin did it was like, why don't we do third down and red zone instead of like open field stuff? Because open field is more play action, like the routes are deeper, they're faster, whatever. Like, and that's one thing that, about football that makes it a little bit easier. Is it as you know, the practice script is designed by reps, right? So it's really easy to be like, well. We'll take one rep off this guy. We'll make sure they're a little bit shorter distances. And basketball, from what I understand, it's a little bit more like the Wild West. Like they just kind of are playing basketball and like understanding. And then all of a sudden
0: it's like, up. Oh, you've hit your distance. Get out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So like, I, you know, and like uh, we talked about like finding drills that kind of limit the distances and intensities. Like that's another thing in football that's way easier because of the kind of the structure of the practice. But, in, I, you know, I'm not familiar enough with the basketball. So finding ways to kind of be like, hey, this drill really adds a lot of mileage or this drill really adds a lot of intensities. Like, let's put that drill tomorrow. And you know what I mean? Because, like, you're still going to get what you want to get done. Because that's the thing. All coaches think they need the work, right? So finding ways to not limit the work, but just kind of move pieces around so that the one day is higher than another day, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what I've kind of been thinking for a while. And I love what you're talking about with practice and kind of, it's one of those things that's going to be very hard. Like we might have an idea as a strength and conditioning professional of how to move things around in practice, but approaching a coach about that, I'm sure is quite daunting. But if you can find a way, like you said, to keep all the work and you just move it to the appropriate times, I think, I think that's, I think that's huge. Um, And yeah, I, you know, one of my buddies. I, I can show it to you after we're done here. One of my buddies yeah. is in the NHL, and he does. Um, he's been kind of designing uh, practice flow, not telling people yeah. what to do, but just designing the flow of practice, and then understanding. And this is this is. I think where strength and conditioning professors. A lot of us don't do our due diligence, figuring out what is a highly intense day, what is yeah. a day with more volume that's lower intensity what are the stressors going into a given practice yeah. and if we if we can at least kind of understand where work our way like start at the game and work our way back or start at yeah. the practice and work our way back that makes these conversations a lot easier
1: well i think you bring up a really good point there too is like i think it's i think it, it's kind of mind-blowing in some instances how little football uh, strength conditioning coaches know <laughs> yeah. about the sport i'm like they're like, oh, like, what are you do? And I'm like, you have no idea, like, what's happening. You have no idea what's hard. You have no idea what's easy. You have no idea, like, what is emotionally stressful. Like, you, it's just, like, it's, it's totally foreign. Like, they know the weight room, and they kind of stay there. But in order to kind of get those conversations you're talking about to happen and be executed at a high level, like, you really, 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 really need to learn a lot about the sport, and learn a lot about the coach, and, like, build those relationships. We talked about at the top, like, those um, interpersonal relationships are so critical. I cannot overemphasize how important that is. Because if 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 you don't get along with the head coach, like he's not going to do anything you want him to do. Like yeah. <laughs> he will not do it. So, but if you guys are buddies, like that's one thing that I learned from Jesse in Atlanta. Like Jesse Ackerman is that he and DQ are like good buddies. Like they get each other. D and uh, Jesse gets him, and uh, DQ gets uh, gets Jesse, and so like they can have these conversations about practice volumes and intensities and guys taking too much and too little and i don't like the way jesse does it because it's very reactive but like at least dq is like on board with what jesse's doing in terms of data and you know what i'm saying so like yeah, finding yeah. ways to, to 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 get those relationships where you can have these conversations i think it's just like it's more than half the battle it's so important
0: yeah. I, the other thing I was going to ask you in football practice, for example, and I I, I sat through my fair share. I, yeah. I coached high school and then was with the Bills yeah. for a while. And yeah, like I've sat through my fair share and I'm not going to lie. I, I, I'm very bored by them usually. <laughs> so, yes, they're, um, not, they're not very engaging yeah, so, for even people involved. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. You can, you can just look at guys' faces and you know, like <laughs> that guy does not want to be here today. <laughs> yeah, you know, like um, I, I was wondering and So Fergus, I don't know if you're familiar with Fergus Connolly at all, but he talks Uh, about this a lot. Um, He talks a lot about all these concepts we're going over. And um, one of his things is when in doubt and make something a game. Uh, And so, and I think it might be a little easier in other sports other than football. Although, I mean, you have like your seven on sevens and stuff, which is a little more game oriented, but like, for example, like hockey and soccer, you can (laughs) make these small sided games and, and, instead of doing drills, make the drill competitive, make it more of a game-style yeah. thing. And, right. and a lot of coaches, I think, in strength and conditioning now are starting to try to, like, get sport coaches on board with that. I, you know, I was talking yeah. to an NHL guy the other day and he goes, our players hate practice. Like, they absolutely hate practice because because they, they're, they're never doing anything fun. And, like, we <laughs> have to do something fun or else they just – we lose them by the 10th day of the season because they don't want to practice yeah. anymore. I was right, wondering yeah. kind of if, if – you see value in that? Cause again, some people are super business-like and they don't, they don't want any sort of games going on in their practices. So I was kind of yeah. wondering where you might fall on that.
1: Well, that, I mean, that's, that's another tradition, uh, transition that I saw from my rookie year to like my last year in the NFL, like there was a definite change in kind of like the culture oh, wow. of making making practice and making your time in the building more fun, just generally, you know? And I think that, um, you know, the, uh, it's so important to, um, to, to kind of make it enjoyable, but also, like, I remember having conversations with O-linemen and D-linemen, and they're talking about their individual time and the, how they hate it, but the second you get to a team period, everyone's, like, hair's on fire, and they love that, you know? And, and I think that that's – it's kind of speaks to what you're talking about. Like, when I first got in, it wasn't like that. You would do like, you do seven on seven, which everyone hates. I, you know, they don't hate it, but it's not very specific, right? Or nine on seven. Everyone hates nine on seven. I don't care who you are. No one likes that, right? So, (laughs) um, but like they, that's kind of all gone by the wayside now. And everyone's kind of transitioned more to like, it's all team periods. It's all super game specific, which I enjoyed more. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of my teammates enjoyed more. So I think, I think I used to think it was because that's how they did it in college. And they were trying to make. Make the NFL game more acceptable to college players, but I do think maybe it's just kind of a transition in terms of philosophy, you know.
0: So, yeah, no, I, I'm, that's very interesting to hear, and um, it kind of brings me into the other other point I wanted to discuss, which was um, the NFL kind of the, the way the CBA is set up and whatnot. And again, feel free to say or not say whatever you want, I don't know <laughs> what your position is right now, with all yeah. of it. so but like. I always find it interesting the way the schedule is set up in the off season. And I understand that we want to maximize time off like football's a hard game and we need time off and all that kind of stuff. But I never understood why you get into your off season period, you go through it two or three months and then you get a month off before training camp and then the loads just get jacked higher than they have been since December. Um, I was wondering like if you, what, what your thoughts were on that too.
1: Yeah, to me, you know, I think you got to understand the way the NFL was before to understand the new CBA. Like I remember talking to some veterans, like when I was a rookie, it was it was the year before the CB the new CBA was developed, yeah. right? And talking to those guys, and then basically saying like the coaches had carte blanche to do whatever they wanted. So like if I was in the building, they could take me out, and we could do full speed tackling drills. You know what cool. I mean? Like they had <laughs> there was no there was no <laughs> restriction on what the coaches could do. And so, like ideally, yeah, like you would go in, you'd lift weights, you'd work out, you'd do maybe some football-specific stuff with no helmet. But I remember one of the one of the guys said, when I was a rookie, the coach would come in and get me after my like in the middle of my personal time lift, and take me out to the field, and we would tackle. I would tackle another rookie in the offseason, or, you know, a guy going into his second year. And I was like, that's insane. That's you're just crazy. Adding, you're just adding all these body contacts and like this violent stuff and. No one needs that. You want the body to recover and feel good. And so I think, like, this new CBA is a reflection of of that time period where people were, like, abusing it tremendously. Like, do I like the new CBA? No, I don't. I think it's kind of – I think it was made by a whole bunch of really old guys who, like, had their their spot on the roster, like, established. So they didn't understand, like, the importance of – being around and setting themselves up. And I think the other thing is, it's hard for young guys to learn what it means to be a pro with a nine week offseason, a month off, and then right into training camp. You know, I think that's really hard too, but I think it's unfair to them. But um, from a physiological standpoint, I think it's ridiculous. You know, I think it really sets guys up to, like, I remember that one of the most stressful times of year for me was after the OTAs had ended and we had that month off. Because I was like, I need to make sure that I am in adequate shape to make, to, to make sure I can survive a month of training camp. And, you know, training camp got way easier under, under the new CBA. But, you know, like I remember there were seasons where we'd go through training camp, even though it was easier, and I wouldn't feel right until like week, you know, four or five of the season. You know, like my body would be so messed up from that. And so, like, I think there's got to be – I, I think a lot of that came from the fact that coaches felt like they needed to get guys in shape instead of kind of being able to follow a nice like linear progression you know back to back to football so yeah I think it's kind of I think it's kind of silly I understand why they did it you know why those guys made those those decisions but um, yeah from a physiology standpoint and like just from like an injury prevention standpoint it's really not it's not the best and I think all your your listeners and you could, could probably see that from a mile away. Yeah, you know? yeah,
0: dude. That's that's fascinating though. Like, it makes me understand things a lot more hearing that that side of things. Because yeah. honestly, I would I don't remember the way it was before the old CBA. Yeah, and, right. and honestly, I didn't have this mindset to win the old CBA. I just watched football. <laughs> so, yeah, right. So, yeah. Know, well, like-
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, so that's like I mean, that's that's scary to even think about. You know, like being a rookie and getting like you know you're getting your lift in, you're doing your extra work and you know, you got to go tackle somebody in like the middle of, you know, whatever time it is. So, but yeah, I think, I think this, this new CBA, I think it'll be a lot better. Um, I think because they understand like kind of what they did the last time I've heard they, they've talked a lot about getting the strength coaches involved and kind of setting the parameters and you oh, know nice. talking a little, like some of the sports science people to talk about like what is actually happening in those big doldrums and dead periods, you know, and how that's detrimental to the players. So,
0: um, what do you think about, like, kind of the evolution of, of NFL coaching? I mean, a lot of the older coaches – I mean, you you last a long time in the league. That's just the way it is as a coach, I feel like. But um, we're getting to the point now where we're starting to see younger coaches. Do you think there's going to be a mindset sh- set shift or um, in terms of, like, loads and the work being done and how they approach practice and – and and whatnot and perform and, you know performance or do you think it's kind of going to be kind of the same just because that is the way football culture is
1: yeah i think like with anything though you see transitions you know like i, I was with sean mcveigh for a couple of years and then kyle and they're both about the same age but sean was really quick to embrace the uh the data the load management stuff understanding that stuff he's a very bright guy very kind of wants a global understanding of everything and kyle while he is the smartest football person I've ever been around is a much more traditionalist in his approach to football. Like it took him a very long time to embrace some of the load management techniques and evaluation methods. And I think a big, honestly, I think a big part of that was Chip Kelly coming to the NFL. Like he came to the NFL and he was doing his load management stuff and it sounded insane, you know, to everybody. Like he just did not do it effectively he kind of went all in on it and um i think everyone said well look at what happened to chip kelly you know and so now that teams are having better success you know like the 49ers they've adopted this new uh load management strategy though kind of i've alluded to talking about dustin and um and they had a 35 or 37 percent reduction in in soft tissue injuries so like data like that coming out and being more manageable and, and more accessible to people i think is just going to say – because, like, you can't you can't win any games, as you know, with the Bills, without your best horses in the game. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you need those guys to play. You need them to be out there. And so, like, finding ways to get that to happen, I think is always going to be um, grabbed with two hands, you know.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that that kind of brings us back full, full circle. Like, I mean, you talked about at the beginning – we talked at the beginning, like, the data can be important, but if we're not using it with some common sense and yeah. having a feel for the environment we're in, it's really not all that great. <laughs> so. Yeah,
1: absolutely. No, I think that's right. And I, th- and I think that was the problem. Like, yeah, like you hit the nail right on the head. Like that was the problem before. And it's still the problem in a lot of places. They just don't know what to do with the data. But you see these kind of bright spots, especially in baseball, actually, kind of go figure. 100%, but, yeah. You know, like um, with where people are starting to, like, they get it and they understand how to apply it. And then everyone's just going to look to those people, those bright spots, and that'll become the norm. You know, because everyone wants that competitive edge. As you know, you've been around high-level sports enough to kind of know how how competitive it is. You know, so yeah.
0: The uh, everybody's always looking for the secret sauce. I love yeah. when they ask me. I'm like, I don't know, bro. <laughs> 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 no idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So I, I got a quick question. for Yeah, you. yeah. Um, like with regards to basketball, like what, like, hey, what is like the practice structure look like? Like how much running are they, you know what I mean? Like how do you manage load in a basketball practice? And then like, what do you have them doing in the weight room? Like, are they, and like, cause like, I remember in college going to UCLA the basketball team was like a big deal and not one of those guys enjoyed lifting at all. So,
0: (laughs) so I will say this. So I have, I have experience, more experience at the D one and the D three level. I had a very short, time like a month in the nba last year so i don't want to still
1: counts the d3 still counts yeah and i
0: I don't want to i don't want to speak uh too far out of turn um sure but i would say uh the biggest things that i saw at the, the the difference between college and pro is ridiculous like if you're in a solid college strength program with a with a basketball team you're lifting you're doing things really consistently right um you're you're building strength for example like my my buddy george green he's been on the podcast before uh he's the director at stony brook and he has his dudes are monsters in the weight room like i've never seen a basketball team at least from what he shows on instagram like they they get after it um and i think some college programs are, are like that um some are some are not but the the key is, like you said, I think the general culture in basketball tends to shy away from that. So you have right. to kind of, again, read the room and know who you want to work with. Um, at the Division One level, where I, where, I was, where I was a GA, the team didn't really want to do that kind of stuff. Um, right. So you kind of do what you can. It's almost like working with like, some of these skill position players in the NFL, like right. we talk about. Right. So you do what you can with them. You just kind of give them what they need to, to help with tendinopathy. Dude, everybody, they just all have tendinopathy. Like, it's just yeah. crazy. Um yeah. So give them what they need for that. And then kind of leave the rest alone. Um, sure. The D three school I was at, these kids were dogs. Like they wanted to work and we had some yeah. fun, man. Like we would just <laughs> get after it. Yeah. Um, like I had a freshman like three months in and uh, I would do things a little differently now than what I did three years ago. But like this right. kid trap bar was like 600 and he weighs like a buck 70. And I was oh, like, wow. <laughs> <"Whoa."> <laughs> like, this is, this is crazy. So like, like it is cool to see because i think you're right like we embracing a culture of strength i think is very healthy for especially specific sport culture environments i think a lot of female sports i think it's awesome and yes. i think in, in in men's basketball it's outstanding because a lot of times I don't think they're going to chase it too far. Like we talked about right. earlier. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and I think if you're getting, if they're getting more than the average team, which is really not a lot, like that's a huge leg up in my opinion. Like it's just yeah, monstrous. It's,
1: it's kind of goes back to that thing. Like, are you strong enough? You know? And like, I think like even with basketball players, like they're definitely not strong enough, but like, like incrementally better than everybody else is is like super important.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I I think then if you're moving into the NBA side of things, and again, very short time of experience there. So I don't want to speak too, too broadly, but I was very surprised um, how little is the stimulus for them? Like for example, Uh, we'd get up, right. And we'd be at the hotel. Like, and we, at summer league, you got a bus over to UNLV to play. So right. you're on the strip in your hotel, you get up, you eat, players come into the hallways in the hotel and you're doing like eccentric mini band, like hip flexion. And these really? dudes are like, Oh my gosh, like <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> like, you're like, wow, this is like a stressor for them. You know, like it, it's, it's really easy to see. Wow. Like, oh, we're going to do like 10 push push-ups with like a three second eccentric and they're huffing and puffing. Like, Wow. Like they're, they're smashed from that. Like, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. So, it's, it's a totally different life. Uh, yeah. These guys, like, they're just living in such a different world. Um, right. And I don't know, do you know Corey Schlesinger at all? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's with the Suns, but he was at Stanford. I thought he always did a beautiful job at Stanford, uh, the windows he kind of opened up to his program. Um, he, he really understood, like, yes, I want to touch some stimulus or stimulus that's, the high threshold and we're recruiting a lot of motor units and working on strength, but I don't need to do it super often for these guys that are right. very fashionly driven. I just needs to happen occasionally and I need to get them used to being in their bodies. So like he would spend yeah. an entire off season, um, not entire off season, but an off season period, uh, just working in the wrestling room with these guys. Right. Yeah. It's like they're just, they just be rolling around, hanging from bars, uh, leaning up against each other like leveraging each other like low-level yeah. wrestling mat drills stuff like that yeah. and I think for the if you watch NBA players they have so little awareness when they're not on the court of what's going on around them and like within their bodies I think doing anything you can to give them a perspective off the court sure. is tremendous so I, that's kind of where I where I'm standing on this I'll be able to give you a better answer uh, once I get going at P3 here in yeah. a couple of weeks.
1: So. Yeah, let me know how that goes. That'd Dude, yeah, we'll be in
0: touch for sure and talk about yeah, it. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, any other questions or any other things you had for me?
1: No, no, no. I like that wrestling thing, though. I've actually been thinking about that a lot. Like, people ask me, like, for run blocking techniques, like, what's the best way to learn? I'm like, just learn how to, like, lean on somebody and kind of be aware of your body and leverages, like – because you don't get it on the field as much because, like, it's a very specific footwork and collision kind of impact environment. But, like, I think that is so undervalued, just the ability to kind of, like, move and bend and be in some different positions. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, do you um, – I don't know if you've seen William and Mary. They do um, they do a lot of this in their strength and conditioning. So a lot of, like, grappling work with their line and yeah. stuff like that. I think the I more think you can yeah, – yeah.
1: No no, I, th- I was going to say, I think that's so important, like, just, like, the gripping, like, because, like, if you look at, historically, the best uh, blocking guys, the best O-linemen tend to have some type of other sport background, you know, and a lot of them wrestle, and I think, um, you know, some play basketball, but just the, the idea that you're not moving in the same position and pattern all the time, and, like, you know, like, like learning, like, the, the way you said it is perfect, like, just learning your body, I think, is super important
0: yeah they that, that variability I'm kind of a bit of a PRI nerd um, and and they are always talking about variability in the system and and I think you know this is a great way to end it. We just talk about we're in a, in performance and high level lifting and everything. We're constantly in this like extended state where we can display like maybe one posture. and yeah. I think a big chunk of an offseason for a lot of players, uh, particularly I noticed this in the NBA. These dudes are so toned up. It's like, how can we get them a little more parasympathetic and therefore able to unlock some of these positions they can't hit with, like, low-level lifting exercises? Like, I I want you to show me a different position than you can when you're going up for a dunk when you're doing a goblet squat. Yeah, right. If you can't do that, like, I think that's just a one-way street to injury if you can only display to me one position, you know?
1: Yeah, I think – I just read an article by – Shoot, I forgot the name of that. Anyway, it was talking about the amount of variance in lifts, specifically talking about the back squat and the deadlift, you know, and how that, like, some people, like, move their feet a little different every time. It's not the exact, or their knee position's a little different, or the hip position's a little different. And one of the arguments in the paper was that, like, that variation is enough of, like, supporting strength, you know? And so to think if you kind of extrapolate that out more, like, because, like, obviously that's supporting strength for, like, um, like a barbell movement, but like for football, like it's not enough, right? Or basketball. Like, so like that, that's exactly right. Getting those different positions, like finding ways to touch those positions I think is,
0: is very, very critical. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. Dude, Logan, um, before I let you go, any, any websites, social media, charity, whatever you want to promote?
1: Yeah, not yet, you know, I told you I'm working on a little extra piece of exercise equipment that I think would help with some of these different positions and maybe I can come on and talk about that later once everything once maybe. I once I get back on Instagram and do all that stuff. So, until then, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Any any socials or anything you want to you want to promote? I no, no. I,
1: no. I got nothing. Like I said, I just I think I told you, I just retired and like the social media while I was playing was like the most overwhelming like depressing environment. So I got people just all.
0: like, people just like, why'd you drop that pass? to yeah. find you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> like I'm going
1: to kill I'm going to kill your wife. You're like, who are you? Are like, you serious? Like I had a, there was a kicker who, uh, who missed a field goal kick and they said they were going to kill his family on Twitter. Oh, and so gosh. I was like, and I was like a second year player. I was like, no thanks. You're
0: like, I'm you off. This. This. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I I'm not going to lie to you now that you're in the game. I hate when strength coaches, like a lot of strength coaches will be like, you should not get information off Instagram. There's no context. You can't learn Dude, Dude I, I don't le- know about that. I yeah. learned so much on Instagram, man. I think Instagram is like one of the best tools of <laughs> strength and conditioning. I'm well, like
1: even just like building relationships, yeah. you know, like, like just to be like, hey man, like, you know, here's a paper that I saw. Like, what do you think about this? And like people respond on Instagram. They're not like, it, it makes everyone like way more accessible, you know, and I think that's like talking about people, relationships, like that's a big part of it
0: yeah yeah 100 100 man but i will say you go on twitter and you go oh i think the trap bar deadlift is a great movement and they're like that's the devil you can only back squat and you're like okay i'm not getting on twitter anymore logging off <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> that's, that's good to know yeah so instagram sounds like the way to go dude
0: awesome. IG, ig is the way to go man logan thanks a lot for uh for coming on the show really appreciate it And when you do get that uh that piece of equipment up and running yeah let's definitely hop on again and chat
1: yeah sounds good man take it easy and great Thank talking you. with you